0: what Justin Warbloss said yesterday at the, at the reception as he was giving a toast as the best man. He said, you know, years ago, we hitched our wagon to Jamie and Kim Miller, our spiritual wagon. And we've done that. Stephanie and I have done that for the last six or seven years, and it's just been Jamie and Kim continually showing us Jesus, and we are honored and we are grateful to be here. We love Christ's fellowship, and we love Jamie and Kim Miller for leading us. So, well, good. Well, my name's Brian Bird. My wife, Stephanie, and I, and by the way, I'm married to the most wonderful person in the world. And those of the, you who know her know what I'm talking about. Uh, we've been members here for seven, seven and a half years. It's the fault of Randy and Anna Brown that we are here and uh, for inviting us. So glad they did. Uh, and um, we'll be, Stephanie and I will be married 20 years this December. Uh, we have three children, Allison, Austin, and Wyatt in ninth, 7th, and 4th grade. Um, And I just, before I kind of jump in here, I wanted to give a plug for World Mandate, uh, which is coming up in a a few weeks, and I hope you come. We've gone, I don't know, seven or eight times. It is awesome. I mean, it will just lift your spirit, make you love Jesus, and make you want to be a part of His purposes. I can't think of anything better to do. And to kind of give you a plug for it, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, uh, My daughter Allison... Uh, and a friend of hers at school were doing what ninth grade girls would do. They were talking about ninth grade boys. Uh, And this is a, she was talking with a, a, you know, a lovely young lady uh, who uh, I don't think is a believer, I don't think is in church. And she said, Allison, uh, you know, who are you interested in here at Trinity Valley, their school? And Allison said, well, you know, let, let me tell you about some doodly-dudes that I know at church and that I know at a place called Antioch down in Waco. And, and our term for men who love Jesus and who are men in the Lord is doodly-dudes. That's how Allison and I kind of talk about it. <laughs> and so I said, and she said, by the way, if you want to meet some of these doodly-dudes, come to World Mandate with me in a few weeks. Isn't that awesome? So anyway, that's Allison for you. I mean, just a, just a gatherer, right? Okay, so, um, why don't we jump in here? Um, yes, yesterday, on this very stage, were two incredible orators gifted in the Lord, Jamie Miller doing his thing, and Jimmy Seibert, and I thought, this is great, tomorrow people have to listen to Brian, you know? So, I just, I just want to apologize, uh, but, uh, but, but also, you know, God has a word for us. And it matters not who the speaker is. God is able to overcome anything. So before we get going, let me pray for our time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're all these things that we've talked about. Thank you for the beauty of human marriage, which is a reflection of how much you love us and just can't get enough of us. Lord, you long to hear our voice. You long to hear the thoughts in our head and the cries in our heart. We give them to you this morning and ask for your presence here, Lord. Thank you. We love you. Amen. We're going to, this morning, look at two incredible people. One is from Matthew chapter 15. It's an individual that we know in Scripture as the Syrophoenician woman. The other is a lady named Carolyn Weber who wrote a book called Surprised by Oxford. We're going to kind of look at their stories. But let's read together. No, no, let's not read together. That's what we do at communion. Let me read, and if we can throw it up on the... If we can throw. Yeah, there we go. This is from Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. And this is our scripture base this morning. It says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. Interesting. So His disciples came to Him and urged Him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, the woman came, she knelt down before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs... Eat from the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And the Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. What an unbelievable individual. I've put myself in her shoes a number of times and I've thought, well, What would I have answered to God if I was trying to get his help and he said, I'm not coming for you, you're a dog, I'm coming for these other people, I think I would have said, to heck with you, I'm out of here. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd probably have that thought. Somehow, she knew he loved her. Somehow, she knew it, and I don't know how, but she did. First thing we'll talk about, it's okay to come to God with nothing but a plea in your heart for help. It's nothing wrong. It's okay to come to God with nothing but a plea in your heart for help. You have to understand this lady she was not from israel she was not a jew she did not have moses and the law she was not a descendant of abraham isaac and jacob all these things she did not worship at the temple she did not have anything that would in a in a person's mind who was from israel give her the right to come up to jesus and ask for help but she came anyway she looked past that she didn't keep her eyes on that she had her eyes on him Bible says, set your mind on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart on things above. That's from Colossians chapter 3. It's very hard to do, isn't it? We want to get caught up in our own insufficiencies and our own failures, and we don't want to look to God. And we should. Good news for us. In Acts chapter 1, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Isn't that great? That, that phrase, come upon you, in the Greek, how Yancey. This is a... Jamie does the parenthetical thing, right? You know, right? Can't do it like Jamie, but... Uh, that, that, that word in the Greek... Okay, I'm back now. That word in the Greek come upon you is the same Greek word that's used when the Holy Spirit comes on Mary to producing her... Jesus, the light of the world, that same power that produced Jesus, the Savior of the world, is available to you to come upon you and produce life and give you power to look past your junk, to look past your insufficiencies, and look at Jesus. And there's nothing better in the world for us to do. We can't do it on our own, but we can because God is gracious and has given us His Holy Spirit. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation from 2 Corinthians 5. There's new life in us. One of the stories I wanted to tell this morning is about Carolyn Weber. Now, you have to understand, my wife Stephanie is a bookophile. She loves good books. I have the privilege of getting to hear her tell me about them. uh, and uh, That really wasn't supposed to be funny. But anyway... um, um, What's so nice about it is she's great at pulling out the nuggets of truth, and after she tells me about it, I kind of feel like I know the book, and so I don't read it because I've already kind of heard it. You all know what I'm talking about? There's plenty of other stuff to read. So, but she did something. She, she posted on Facebook, which, okay, number one, she never does that, okay? Very unusual for Stephanie to post on Facebook. Um, she's not a risk taker at all. That's my job in the, in the relationship. So. She posts on Facebook, she says, This might be the best book I've ever read. Okay? Surprised by Oxford is the name of the book. It's written by Carolyn Weber. Now, that's a risky thing to say for Stephanie in particular. People like me, we throw that stuff out like footballs all the time. Anyway, try this one out. It's the best thing I've ever tried, right? You know what I'm talking about. But for Stephanie, whoo, boy, she reserves those, right? They are pearls, she does it appropriately. It's the story of a young woman who, 20 years ago, grew up in Canada. She grew up in a house where her father was an alcoholic and mistreated her and her mom. She was brilliant. Went to college. She received a scholarship to go to Oxford and do graduate school work. And she left Canada on her way to England. She hated God. She hated men, although she was engaged to a fellow who was not a believer. She arrived in Oxford, an agnostic slash atheist, and somewhere in that first year, Jesus ambushed her. I mean, just shanghaied her. And the story that she writes with this incredible talent for writing is how that all happened, how it came about. The man who led her to Christ was the person that she affectionately calls in the book TDH, the acronym for Tall, Dark, and Handsome. It's the, it's the fella that she would go on to marry. She falls in love with, they fall in love, they get married, they have children. But before all that happens, just through their friendship, he leads her to Christ, she sees something in him that she's never seen before. And God is just working on her and all the stuff that she has to deal with. After she becomes a believer, his parents come to Oxford to visit. And they are people of God. They've started a church, they've spent their entire lives... Ministering to people, visiting the sick, praying for them, loving on them, being Jesus at home, being Jesus in the community everywhere. And TDH invites her to dinner. And so it's just the four of them. And they're at dinner at an Indian restaurant in Oxford, England. And here's where it picks up She says, I have so many insecurities and shortcomings in terms of my faith. Life offers so many excuses for shame. I looked up at TDH's parents, enjoying their meal with relish, laughing and talking with their son, all of them so there. Hypothetically speaking, of course, I allowed myself the dangerous thought, just for a moment, I would never be good enough for their son. I lack the Christian dowry, I told myself in all aspects, I'm good company, but I would never be good enough, family. As we waited for dessert, I announced, What a delight this dinner has been, adding with complete sincerity, if not a little wistfulness, You are all well so perfect. TDH's mom put her hand over mine. TDH's eyes shone at me from her face. My goodness, no one's perfect, Carol. And certainly not us, but at least we know who is. You see You see how powerful that is. TDH's mom had been walking with Christ. He had been dealing with her. And she had learned the value of looking at Jesus and getting past everything. Even if all you have given him up to that point is grief, it's okay to come to God. Even if all you've given to him up to a certain point is grief, it's okay to come to God. Whether it's for 60 seconds, 5 minutes, A week, year, or decades. He wants you to come and he's looking for you. He longs to hear your voice. The other individual we're talking about this morning, the Syrophoenician woman, remember her. She was from uh, an area near Tyre and Sidon, which is sort of on the western part of that area we know as Israel and Palestine today. She was not from Israel, and back in those days, there was a lot of tension between people from one country and another. So when she approached Jesus, she approached him not necessarily as a friend, but possibly, in some people's eyes, as a foe, just because of where she lived. But that didn't hold her back. She kept coming. She had no particular education, nothing to give to him for his ministry, as far as we know. She was not a traveling evangelist, so she had no pointers to give him. But she kept coming with nothing to offer. We have a hard time doing this because just the warp and woof of how we operate here in our culture is that it's if I bring something of value, I get something of value. Am I right? So it starts early in school. If you study well enough you get an A. If you don't, you don't get an A, right? If you work hard enough and you're talented enough, you make the team and you play. If you're not, you don't. If, you've, if you're older and you've shown up for your first job ever, just the very nature of you being in the room on the first day of your job, there's an implication that you are bringing something of value. In the organizational world, whether it's nonprofit, churches, businesses, whatever, it's value added. What is your value added? What are you bringing to us? Because we're not giving you a dime until we know what it is and you start producing. You see it? It's in our culture. It gets in our psyches. It gets in our mind. We apply it in our relationships. Keeping track of how we do things for each other, and then we put it on God, and that's the fatal mistake. We do it all the time, every one of us in here. And God says, That's not me! And I can tell you, that is not the God revealed in the Scriptures to us. God is much bigger than that. That God that is this for that, that what did you do for me lately, God, is much too small for me, folks, and He's much too small for you. God is family. And he invites you into it. We say when we give communion here that all are invited to his table by being in his family. Just your being and not your doing means that you are loved, you are provided for, you are longed for. I'll tell you a quick story in this one. Um, I've made a lot of mistakes in life. And I'm going to tell you one. It was when I was 12. Don't judge me over here, you younger people, all right? So, I was 12 years old and... uh, uh, the plan was we were all going to go into town and hang out at the, the business for a while. My mom, dad, my brother, sister, and I. Uh, and uh, I worked it out so I could ride my bike across town. I can't imagine sending a 12-year-old to do this by himself. But anyway, it was the 70s, man. This is how we rolled things, right? So, so off I go on my bike. No helmet. Helmet, what are you talking about? So it look like an alien. So anyway, so we, I ride my bike. And my dad said, that's fine. You can do that. But you have to be back by 3 o'clock. No problem, Dad. I'll be back by 3 o'clock. No, what are you kidding me? Sure enough, got carried away. My friend and I were playing pool, listening to Roger Miller, or whatever we were doing. And I was late getting back. So we start, I started heading back, and I'm going to be like 45 minutes late. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I hatched a brilliant plan. <laughs> I know what I'll do. I'll fake a bike wreck. So I took the, the chain off my sprocket thing, and... So I, I thought, man, I'll come walking up limping. They'll feel sorry for me. You know, it'll be great, and it'll be no problem. So, I, so sure enough, I try it. I come walking up, kind of limping some fake limp. I didn't even know which leg to use, you know, that sort of thing. Bike's off the deal. Brian, where were you? We were worried about you. Dad, I had a bike wreck and blah, 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 and this rehearsed story. And as soon as I said it, I knew he knew that I was lying. And he knew I knew. And so there was this uncomfortable moment between us, right? (laughs) For those of you who are parents, you know your kids so well, right? And part of it is because they're a lot like you are, right? (laughs) So what he chose to do was say, Okay, Brian, we're glad you're okay. We were worried about you. I hope you put your bike up and let's go home. I got in the car and I was quiet the whole way home. We get home. I spent two hours in my room pacing around, the guilt starting in my toes creeping up all the way to my head. And I thinking, I was thinking, what have I done? And how am I going to get out of this? After a while, I knew the only solution. I stumbled into my parents' room, and I blurted out, I'm so sorry. I lied to you. Please forgive me. What I want to point out here is that I'm blessed with a dad who is wise and who loves God. And he said, Brian, first of all, I'm glad you came to me. I've been waiting for you to do this. I knew you were lying. I've been waiting for you to come to me, and I'm so glad you did. And he went into some other things, like, we can't lie to each other, Brian, because then we have a trust problem between us. And you and I have that now, but don't worry, I'll help you work that out. We can't break our promises. You broke a promise with me and the rest of the family. And there's a trust problem now, but don't worry, I'm going to help you. We're going to work that out. But Brian, don't ever, ever stop coming to me. Isn't that beautiful? It's a picture of the Father. My dad was smart enough to know that that wasn't the last stupid thing I would ever do, right? (laughs) Right? And he wanted to make sure that I would keep coming to him. Um, Just checking time here. Pardon me, I just need to get a drink of water. By the way, I spent a long time in school, and I became an expert at sleeping through lectures. For those of you that I'm your doctor, I'm sorry to tell you that, but, <laughs> but, but uh, particularly, particularly that after lunch lecture was a beating. Am I right? So I was an expert at laying the head down, getting a power nap. Clean up the drool, wake up, and ready to go. So, my word to you is if you sleep this morning while I'm, while I'm talking, it won't bother me at all. Feel free to go. I'll be impressed if you can pull that off. All right, we're back to it here. Okay. Always best to come to God. Let me tell one other story on that before we move on. Um, a few years ago, I ran into a buddy that I knew in high school. I didn't know him very well. He's a great guy. And we got reacquainted. He's not a believer. And he had a product that our company needed. So we started meeting and we went through a discipleship book together and we were both learning a lot about ourselves and about God. And about two months into it he said, Brian, I can't do this. You see, I've lived my life the way I wanted to live it for 40 years and I can't imagine that God would take me into his family now. And there were some other things but that was the gist of it. That was the essence of it. And that was where he was stuck. He couldn't imagine that God's love and God's forgiveness of him would extend that far back. You and I know that that is a fallacy. I bring that up because you and I do the same thing, do we not? We think, I can't come to God. I did great on my quiet times last week, but this week I've been terrible. We do these little games, we play these little things, and we think, God's love is only this big, but it's not this big, and I'm right here. And that's where my friend was. No amount of cajoling on my part or pointing things out to him to get him to come back but I wish I'd have told him this, and I didn't, but I wish I would have. I wish I'd have read the prodigal son story to him and say, See, when you come back to God and you come to your senses, no matter how long you've been running from him, he sees you coming from a long way off and runs to you. Isn't that wonderful? Well, we serve an awesome God? In the book by C.S. Lewis, uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, there's a child named Eustace who gets turned into a dragon because he's such an incorrigible, awful individual. And then Aslan meets him. Aslan's Jesus in the the shape and form of a giant lion. He says, do you want me to take this dragon off of you so you can be a boy again? Oh, yes, Jesus. And Jesus puts his claws into his skin and begins pulling off and ripping off the dragon skin to reveal the boy underneath. And it is excruciatingly painful. But he says, oh, Aslan, keep going and get it all off because I want to be a boy again. No matter how long he had been going on, After Eustace had that stripped off of him, he buried his face in Aslan's neck and hugged him. God's waiting for us to do that every day, to come to him so he can do that for us. Well, let's move on here. I'm going to have to speed up. Those who Christ intends to honor, he first humbles. Let's go back to our hero, this individual that we know as the Syrophoenician woman. God's first response to her when she says, please help me, is silence. He ignores her. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist says in Psalm 22, it's echoed by Jesus as he hangs on the cross. It's one of the seven words from the cross. Why are you forsaking me? And one of the, of course, obvious questions from this parable is, why did God treat her this way? I don't know. I've I've felt this way before. Maybe you have too. Maybe it's been for just a day or much longer. But I know this. When we're waiting for God to answer us, when I'm waiting for it, He wants me to keep coming. He wants me to, to pray more earnestly, and the only way He can get me to do it is to ignore me for a while. Not really ignore Him, but be silent for a while. He wants me to dig further into the Scriptures. He wants me to humble myself and get somebody else to pray for me because me praying by myself is not enough. Sometimes God will do this. He delights to build our faith through difficulties. Remember that Abraham waited for 12 years. God showed him the stars in the sky. He so said, look at the firmament. Your descendants will be as numerous as these stars. It took them 12 years before they had Isaac, before he and Sarah had Isaac. Those who Christ intends to honor the first humbles. Jamie will point out, when we are squeezed, what is inside comes out. When God is allowing us to go through difficult times. Those things that need to be resected from us get, get shown, don't they? When we're going through a very difficult time. And then the Holy Spirit can take our hand and walk us through these things. These things that we need to let go of. These things that are wrapped around us, like some big internal insect around an organ. I've pulled a lot of ticks off people over the years. Those are fascinating little buggers, because... They burrow in so hard with their their jaws and then their legs and they're so tenacious in how they hold on that they will allow themselves to be broken in two before they let go. Isn't that fascinating? And that's how our junk is. God has to come along and through hard times He pulls us through. But look on the other side. What does God produce for us? Thankfulness. These things are watered and grow. They're sown, watered, and they grow. Thankfulness, humility, humility. Patience, long suffering, wisdom. And I think that's what God was doing with this woman, as we'll see here in a second. He was kind of saying, keep coming. There's something I want you to get. You haven't gotten it yet. I'm going, to heal you. I'm going to heal your daughter. But first, there's something else I want you to get. And I want you to keep coming. And I think probably what he was thinking is, I'm just going to be quiet and see if she does. I'm going to help her, but I want to see her keep coming. It should blow us away, folks that the God of the universe, the God of the universe, will meet you and me right where we are. It should blow us away. Well, let's keep going here. Her response. Her response is unbelievable. When she says to Jesus, the crumbs from your table are enough, it's all faith, all trust in His inconquerable love for her. It's like, it's like she was thinking this, I think. Jesus, I refuse to believe that you won't hear me and help me. I refuse to believe it. Jesus, I refuse to believe that you're as fussy, narrow-minded, critical, judgmental as I am. I know I'm that way, but I refuse to believe that you are that way. I'm going to keep coming because, Lord Jesus, I want nothing more than for you to take me into your love and take me into your grace. I think that's what was going on here, folks, and I think we can learn from that. (laughs) Carolyn Weber, in Surprised by Oxford, I'm going to read just a little small section here. After she became a believer, she was wrestling with all of this, with her own insufficiencies and insecurities, and the man that she had fallen in love with, TDH, received a visit from a young woman from the States, a former friend. And she refers to this young woman as Miss Georgia in the book. And she gets into this comparison thing, right? I've been there. I'm not as whatever as that person. They're up here. I'm there. I've got to get there. And my self-worth begins to come from that. And as she's wrestling through this and God is holding her hand, she goes to worship. She's a new believer. She spends some time in Protestant churches and sometimes in Catholic churches. And this time she's in St. Mary's Church in Oxford, and here's what she says. For some reason, I felt more comfortable talking to Mary about this, about being a flawed woman, about being a woman who tried but was found wanting. I sat alone in St. Mary's Church the night after Miss Georgia left. The prayer candles flickered on the tiered holders at the side of the altar. Can you picture it? Ever since I started coming here, I always lit my candle on the lowest rung Somehow, the lowest rung seemed to be where I belonged. We all have pain and anxieties. The truth was that all these demons lived within me. Shame, guilt, feelings of inadequacy and fear. There I sat, not really accepting what grace was trying to give me. Not really buying that I had been bought. Not really getting the real, that I was valued, loved, esteemed, already and in spite of me, beyond measure. She says, often the darkest things within ourselves become the keys to which we open ourselves to God. Isn't that beautiful? Often the darkest things within ourselves become the keys by which we open ourselves to God. And that's what he began doing in her heart at that very moment. We open ourselves to God, to His healing, and to a better comprehension of grace Full comprehension, I think, is beyond us at present. And in this moment, God holds her hand and draws her to Him, and she gets it, and for a moment, here's what she says. says, grace means you get to light your candle on the top rung. All because of Him. Grace means you get to light your candle on the top rung. So that is what I did for the first time ever that night, and that is where I have lit it ever since even when I am tempted not to. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful picture of who we are. What a beautiful picture of what He has done for us. And it's a beautiful picture of who we are not. Here's the vital piece of understanding, as Brennan Manning can say it, and only Brennan Manning can say it. The splendor of a human heart that trusted His love unconditionally gives God more pleasure than the Sistine Chapel Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, Van Gogh's Sunflower, the side of the Grand Canyon or 10,000 butterflies in flight. Isn't that beautiful? The splendor of a human heart that trusts God gives him so much pleasure, more than anything. Our trust is our gift back to him. Let's look at Jesus' final response. He says, well, it says in the scriptures, and, and, and this is where I think words are insufficient, Right? Lots of words are insufficient to communicate what we want them to communicate. But he says, Oh woman, your faith is great, your child is healed. Right? I think it went something more like this. I think it just blew him away. I think it blew away his mind and his soul. 100% human, 100% God. And I think he was just blown away. And she's kneeling before him. I think he bends down, grabs her hand and says, Your faith, your faith, your faith, your faith, it is so great. Oh, and I bet he was smiling. He says, stand up with me. Your faith, your faith, a woman, your faith is great. The thing about your kid, we got that taken care of. Don't worry about that. Let me tell you something. Your faith is unbelievable. I'm blown away. I love you. You see it? God's not impressed with us, folks, when we do things that the world thinks are impressive. If you end up on the cover of Time Magazine, God doesn't go, your Time Magazine photo, it's so amazing. He doesn't do that. If you become the CEO of a Fortune 500 organization, if you're a great leader, whatever, What what he does get blown away by is when you have the faith to understand how loved you are. And I think there was part of him at that moment that was saying, oh, this is worth dying for. This is worth dying for. Maybe, I don't know, we can ask him. This is worth dying for. Trust is our gift back to God and he finds it so enchanting that Jesus died for the love of it. Trust is our gift back to God and he finds it so enchanting that Jesus died for the love of it. Does God love me because I have a quiet time every day? Does God love me because I share Christ at school? Or a leader in a youth group? Does God love me because I hold the hands of the sick and dying and pray for them? Does God love me because I take care of the poor? Does God love me because I serve at church? Whatever. If we believe this stuff, we're a Pharisee. And God says, I don't know you, and you don't know me yet. And yet we all do it all the time. God's love is unconquerable. You can't imitate it. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I think, didn't even get close to understanding it because Jesus hadn't come yet. It's so hard for us to get this because... The warp and woof of our thinking and our culture is we have to perform to get God's love. We have to create things that we think He will find worthy. Well, folks, He is worthy. Can I challenge us? When we're steeped in self-worth by what we produce, ask God to let you let go of that. Let go of it. Turn all your focus on who he is and what he does and his character and his wonderfulness. It's the best thing for you. You've got to lay down your pride, lay down all the great things you think you've done. But it's the absolute best thing for you. Let me end with this quote from Carolyn Weber's book. This is a tiny quote. And this is for all of us who struggle to get this. This is for all of us who are like me, who keep doing things, and trying to gain God's favor. I don't even know I'm doing it. But then I look back and I think, oh my gosh, help me Lord. After she became a believer, she began a mentoring relationship with an older woman who was also brilliant, who was a professor at Oxford, who had been walking with the Lord for many decades. And Carolyn says to her, I can't get this grace thing. I just can't get past me and all the junk and all the stuff. And this is what the woman says to her. She says, Carolyn, grace takes a lifetime to fully grasp. And then some. In fact, most of us don't ever fully get it, I think. But even the crumbs from his table are enough. Even just a crumb of his grace is enough for us. Isn't that beautiful? That was one of the times when I was reading the book and I put it down and I put my hands in the air laying in bed in an RV park in Arkansas I said, oh God, thank you for loving me. Why don't we have a ministry time if I could have the folks come up for worship and if y'all don't mind, could you stand up? Have the ministry team come up, please. Thank you. C.S. Lewis famously pointed out that it's a great thing to pray to God. It's a great thing to go into our closet and pray to Him. And He does things in our hearts and minds when we do that. But there's something happens different when we pray with somebody else. You see, Because there are certain parts of God that are only going to come out when you pray with another believer. It takes a little humility to do it. But if you've ever, if you've not prayed with another believer, please do it. Here at Christ Fellowship, this is what we do. We minister. If God has been speaking to us during the the, the sermon time, then we, we want to minister to each other. We want to pray for each other. And so this is a time where you can pray with somebody next to you or if God's been pulling on your heart about some of these issues that we all have, then come up here and give prayer with some of our folks. It may be that you find yourself, without even trying, doing things that you feel will earn God's favor. Get help this morning letting go of that concept of God. What He's saying to you is this, I want to know you, and I want you to know me as I really am, and I can't know you until you get rid of this. So He's wanting you to come and give prayer. Perhaps this is you, perhaps you often feel the experience of not being good enough to be in God's family. I don't feel good enough to be in God's family. Can I tell you, Mother Teresa wasn't good enough, the saints of old weren't good enough. God has no interest in good enough. That is not in his vocabulary. That is not in the way he works. He has absolutely no interest in it. His challenge to you this morning, put your candle on the top rung. Do it this morning. Get somebody to pray for you and know how valued, love, esteem, and bought that you are. And lastly is this. Some of us can't experience the Christian life without guilt being heavy on us and in us. We ask God to remove it, but it rushes back like a swarm of insects that completely covers us and weighs it down. We try to shake it off and break free, but we can't. We apologize for everything we do or don't do, try to get some freedom from it, but we can't get it off of us. And this is what God is saying to you right where you are. I know you. I know everything about you. I know your failures as a spouse. I know your failures as a, a parent. I know your failures at work. I know your insecurities, your insufficiencies. I know every skeleton in your closet. And my challenge to you is this. I dare you, to lo- I dare you to know. I dare you to know that I love you as you are and not as you should be. Because you will never be as you should be. Come get prayer this morning.